Welcome back to the podcast. The Bucks won the NBA championship last night. They took four straight from the Suns and did it on their home court. I'm happy for Giannis and uh, that entire organization. That was a long time coming. And I'll save my disdain for how Phoenix fans handled themselves. I mean, I'm not one to be negative. <laughs> Fuck that. They acted like a bunch of ginormous assholes the entire series. So I'm glad they never got back to Phoenix. I just, I could never bring myself to root for them with them, but I don't deny the talent of the Phoenix Suns. They deserve to be there. They just got their asses handed to them by a a better squad. A friend of mine heard the show last week and he asked me if I thought the story that kid told at the beginning of that last episode was true. I told him, I'm pretty sure it was because The comments in that post were filled with confirmations that something like that had happened to them when they were going to grade school there. And he said, yeah, but you know, that's one of the wildest stories I've ever heard. I said, dude, in our circle of friends, we have wild ass stories too. Like the beer can fishing boat story. I mean, how many people would think, you know, think that was made up? Well, he laughed, said, yeah, you know what? You're right. But that story... Of all the stories that my friends have, this is probably one of the wildest ones. It was about 15 years ago. The workmate of one of my friends had gone fishing at a local lake we have here. And he was going to fish from shore alone. So he starts walking toward the boat launch along the shoreline. And he sees this guy struggling to get his boat in the water by himself. So he offers to help the guy. Well, it turns out the guy just bought the boat. It was brand new. And this was his maiden voyage. Now, it's a hard thing to get used to when you're launching a boat for the first time, especially by yourself. It's really hard. So he puts down his fishing gear and a cooler filled with a 12-pack of Bud Light that he brought with him, and he helps the guy out. So the guy goes, parks his truck in the trailer, comes back, gets into the boat. So my friend's friend gets up to get out of the boat, and that's when the guy offers to let him fish with him on his new boat since he helped him out. And it was a really nice boat, wide, carpeted floors, decked out tons of gear had to cost the guy a lot of money so he says sure so he gets his gear and his his cooler of beer on the boat and they take off now this guy was a heavy drinker i mean he brought a 12 pack of beer with him and intended to drink every one of them so they're fishing and he's crushing beers after about four he's got to take a piss of course now there's a floating bathroom on this lake but it's near the dam on the other side from where they were he asked the guy to drive him to the floating bathroom. The guy says, dude, that's clear on the other side of the lake, and we're getting bites in this spot. Can't you just piss in the water? He says, no, that's disgusting. There's fish in there. I can't piss in the lake. He says, fine, just piss into one of those empty beer cans. I'm not driving. 
clear across the lake just so you can pee. So he whips his dick out, fills, you know, like one and a half cans with pee. This goes on all day. I think he said he filled something like six cans with piss. So the day wraps up and he's going to take the cans back to shore, throw them in a trash can. So they're hooking the boat back up to this guy's trailer and the guy starts his truck to get, you know, his boat out of the water. And that's when it hit him. He forgot to get those cans of piss out of this guy's boat. So I guess he was a little hammered. Next thing you know, he's yelling for the guy to wait, stop, don't go forward. But the guy doesn't hear him, pulls the boat out of the water, cans topple over, piss all over the carpet of this guy's new boat. I mean, it goes everywhere. So he's trying to get to the guy in the parking lot to apologize, but the guy's already come out. He noticed the cans, he smells pee. He's trying to apologize and explain himself. The guy says, just go, please just get out of here. Now, I don't even want to talk about the fact that he's now going to drive home after drinking 12 beers. But the fact that he was so concerned with peeing in the water, which I can tell you people do, I've seen it. He ruined this guy's new boat instead. Oh man, I laughed so hard when I heard that story the first time. And this guy was out of control. And he later got fired because he showed up to work drunk. So yeah, everyone's got at least one wild story. And these aren't wholesome stories you tell, you know, around the campfire to your kids. Like, come on, kids, gather around. Uncle Philly's going to tell you that beer can boat story. (laughs) Never. Another thing that happened last week, I'd gone to the market to buy some things, and I picked up some broccoli. I get home, I take the bag of groceries out of my trunk, and I get inside the house. I put everything away. Then it dawned on me that my broccoli wasn't in there. I looked through the fridge. I thought maybe I spaced out while I was putting groceries away, but it wasn't in there. So I thought maybe it never made it through checkout. But then I remembered the checker was punching in the numbers for it. So I just assumed it didn't make it into my bag. It's happened before. No big deal. Maybe a couple bucks, but I was looking forward to having it. So I figured I'll just get it next time. So the weekend comes and goes. I don't drive the car. Uh, I get out there on Monday. I smell a little hint of cow farts in my car. Not a pleasant smell at all. So I figured it was something in my trash, thinking maybe the smell of the trash must have seeped its way into my car. So I'm coming out of the market. I open my trunk to put my groceries in. Lo and behold, I am blasted with a wonderful scent of three-day-old broccoli that's been steaming in my trunk at 90 degrees all weekend. It must have fallen out of the bag and rolled behind another bag. So I chucked that thing right in the garbage, sprayed the hell out of my trunk when I got home. Why does broccoli smell like bad gas? It's enough to make me want to stop eating it. It It's one of the worst experiences with uncooked broccoli that I've ever had. Oof. Hey, a bit of fallout from Roadrunner, the uh, Bourdain documentary we talked about last week. You know, documentaries often fall under fire for not really being documentaries especially where they include elements that go outside of what would be considered journalism, which documentaries are not. They're not journalism. They're more like op-ed pieces in a newspaper. But a point that was made was that the reason Michael Moore's documentary, Fahrenheit 9-11, wasn't a true documentary was because it used too many real-life clips to frame a narrative that could have gone the other way. Like, you could have taken all that stuff, edited it together to be a George Bush campaign video, You know, and that would have worked that way. So, you know, Moore edited that movie to fit his narrative. 
But when docs feature reenactments, things like that, they're more like dramas than they are documentaries. Well, apparently, Morgan Neville, the director, he had some voiceover produced that was supposed to sound like Bourdain, but it, it used AI. And it appears that Bourdain's talking, but it's not him. It sounds like him, but it's not him. Basically, they've put words into his lifeless mouth. And I think there's a gray area here with documentaries, and it gets crossed a lot. I don't think it takes away from the fact that it's a documentary. You're still telling the story of someone's life using, you know, archival footage and interviews. And if you want to add elements that aren't genuine to enhance the story, then more power to you. The reenactment thing I don't agree with. That's basically, it's pulling it into like biopic territory. But let's get back to this whole journalism thing. Like I said, documentaries aren't journalism. That's storytelling under the form of filmmaking. Don't get it twisted. I have yet to see the film, so I can't judge this from any critical perspective or comment on the dialogue that they faked. I only hope that they did Bourdain's true narrative style justice, because that man could write his ass off. I just don't agree when people call into question the validity of documentaries because one single element was used that doesn't qualify as documentary material as they see it. You know, that's like saying a non-call flagrant foul from the refs in a basketball game makes the whole game illegitimate. That's not fair. And perhaps it enhanced the story in some way. And I'm sure the director had a reason for doing that. Yeah, okay. So I need to talk about something. It's kind of about sports, but it's really more about racism. I try not to get heavy handed on this show, but I feel like if I don't say something, I'm not doing enough. Like if you follow sports at all, you probably heard the story about the racist comments being thrown at black football players for England's national team after they lost in the Euro Cup final. This young kid missed his chance to score on penalty kicks. England loses to Italy, and immediately the blame goes to the black players on the squad because, well, you know, it has to be their fault. They're black. I mean, it's a team effort when you win, but when you lose, it's all one guy's fault. And hey, let's throw the other black players in there too. Why not? I found this sad and unsettling. The pure, unadulterated ignorance of some people to do something like that to a person you have to know is already hurting. No, those guys played their asses off for your country, and your thanks to them is to hurl racist, hurtful comments at them. But it doesn't stop there. And mind you, this is happening across the pond. We're not the only country with a problem with racism. Formula One has it, especially in the UK, where uh, Lewis Hamilton is a British driver. He's the first black F1 champion in the history of the sport. He's tied with Michael Schumacher for the most championships in F1 and is either tied or ahead of him on pretty much everything else. Hamilton gets racist stuff thrown at him a lot, and it's bad. This past weekend, Max Verstappen, who leads the championship standings, is a very talented driver. He's aggressive, but doesn't cause accidents that that gets him penalized. He's just good. So he's ahead of Lewis in the championship standings, and has pole position at the British Grand Prix. In the first lap, Lewis gets a little too aggressive, causes Max to bump into him, sends Verstappen's car into the wall, out of the race. 
for stabbing goes to the hospital. Lewis gets nothing more than a 10-second time penalty for doing that, still ends up winning the race. A lot of people saw this as unfair and done on purpose so Lewis could get back into the championship race. And Verstappen has to watch the race from the hospital. And he found it distasteful and disrespectful that Lewis was celebrating a victory that should have been his while he's on concussion protocol at a hospital. But disregard all that. After the race, Lewis gets hammered on Mercedes' Instagram post with racist comments on social media. Monkey and banana emojis. Every racist word you can imagine. It was ugly. And Lewis has been suffering this stuff, this kind of treatment, for years. But he always did his talking on the track. It wasn't until last summer, when the BLM movement started, that he started to speak up. And now all of F1 has this hashtag end racism campaign. And he wants to see more diversity in F1. But that's another story. Getting into F1 is expensive. His father had to sacrifice everything just to get him into the sport. It takes millions of dollars to get into karting, to work your way through the amateur ranks into F2, which is the minor league system for F1. It's like hockey. It wasn't until sometime in the mid-2000s that we started to see African-American kids in hockey. It just costs a lot of money. And white people, admittedly, have a huge head start. But that's a deeper conversation, and I don't know it's purely a racial thing. It's about money. But for a seven-time world champion, in my opinion, the best driver in the history of the sport, for him to have to endure that kind of talk in this day and age, like I, I think I'm losing hope that this will ever go away. This bullshit, it's learned behavior. And until parents stop teaching their kids how to be a bigot, this is going to continue forever. It sucks, and I feel for people to have to endure that shit and, and continue to smile on top of it. Because if I were them... I wouldn't smile at all. I'd bring it up every chance I was given. To judge a person simply because they have a skin color darker than yours, it makes you a bully. An ignorant bully. Okay, off my soapbox. And don't call me a race traitor either. We're all human beings. We shouldn't be even having this conversation. You know, I mentioned Cuba last week. How the people are tired of how poor the country is and how their economies in the tank. You realize that's on us, right? <laughs> We're the ones who tightened the screws on them decades ago. Obama lifts the sanctions, which gave him a little hope, but Trump comes back and closed the lid again, and now Biden, he's not doing jack shit about it. This is how you hurt countries. Embargo the shit out of them so they can't make a living and put the pressure on their government to explain why everybody's so poor. It's almost like a human rights violation. You know you can help, but you won't. Like, have you ever seen pictures or video from Cuba? It's like the country stuck in 1950s Palm Beach. Castro with his fat, dick-sized cigar in his mouth, dressed in military gear, total dictator. It's pretty much still like that now, except that Castro's dead. I hope they work that shit out somehow, man. I hate to see people suffer. But not all the world's problems have to be our problems. Now, that's where politics come in, and I'm sure as shit not going there. Right? Watched a movie over the weekend, trying to catch up on stuff that I haven't seen, or maybe I did see, but I don't remember very well. It was called Young Adult. 
starring Charlize uh, Theron. Is it Charlize? Yeah, Charlize Theron, Patton Oswalt, who I can't see in any movie now without hearing Remy the Rat from Ratatouille. But this movie was cringy. She plays this writer who authors this young adult series of books, and she's a hardcore alcoholic, which comes with the territory for a lot of writers. Seems to go hand in hand with being an author. Kind of cliche, but it worked in this movie. She's in the middle of writing this book, and you can tell she's unhappy, unfulfilled. She gets an email, a baby announcement from an old flame from high school. Turns out she still pines for this guy. They dated in high school, I guess. She moved on, got married, but it ended in divorce. So she sees this as an opportunity to drive back to the Hobunk town she was from, where everyone still lives, because most people who live in a small town like that generally don't leave. And I can speak from experience on that. Anyway, she packs everything up, takes off to try to win this guy back, even though he's married with a new kid. It's hard to watch because she's such a bitch to everybody. And you can tell this guy's happy living the simple life in this town. He's rejecting her advances towards him and her plans for them to take off together and live in her big city, Minneapolis. That's all I can give you on the movie for those of you who wish to see it but uh, haven't yet. But the movie got me thinking about obsessions. Sometimes people get into their middle ages and start to regret their choices or question whether or not they could have done better because they feel unfulfilled. So they begin to obsess over something or somebody. I think that's how Facebook got so popular. People start thinking about the one who got away. So they look them up on Facebook, stalk them from afar, and sometimes make a connection on there and begin what amounts to an emotional affair. It's an unhealthy thing to do, but people do it. I mean, be honest. You never Googled an ex Someone who was once in your life who meant something to you at one point, but you lost contact? You're curious. What do they look like now? What did they end up doing with their life? Who are they with? I've done it. I've done it a lot in the past. It didn't mean anything. I was just curious. The results were never satisfying, and it just proved that I made the right decision to move on. I think most of what I got out of that movie was that it's never healthy to live with regret. Appreciate what you have, where you are in life, and work on that a little harder if you feel like things could be better. I got engaged when I was 20 to my college girlfriend. And the people that I worked with and the customers that I was close to all told me I was a stupid ass, that I was too young. But you know how it is when you're that age. Young, dumb, and full of, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) No one gets it. What do they know? They're not me. I'm different. What a load of bullshit that was. It didn't last more than six months, and it ended in disaster. Like a dumpster fire filled with dog shit. When it ended, I was heartbroken. But I had a lot of friends back then who kept my spirits up. And it didn't take long for me to get over that. And no matter how many times she tried to get me back, I just kept moving forward. My life improved and kept improving. And this is why obsessing about high school or college flames are just unhealthy. Movies romanticize this stuff way too much. People think this shit goes down with a happy ending in real life. It doesn't. 
It breaks marriages and it breaks hearts. Never live your life looking in the rearview mirror. And speaking of young love, get this. Olympic athletes are checking into Olympic Village in Tokyo and they found cardboard beds in their rooms. It looks like something out of Ikea. Immediately, this was seen as a deterrent for these kids not to have sex in their rooms. Small modular paper beds with a cheap mattress. Who's going to want to do the nasty on one of those things? So one Olympian is trying to like, you know, say this bullshit. He posts a video of him jumping up and down on the bed and it didn't break. He was saying this is all fake news. But I saw that video. That kid might have weighed 130 pounds. Put 250 pounds on one of those things. Start having frantic youth sex on it. That bed's folding like a deck of cards. And watch how many penis injuries result out of that debacle. You know they're just going to throw the mattress on the floor and do it there, right? According to the company who made these beds, the mattresses and frames are customizable to suit athletes of all body types, and the beds can sustain up to 440 pounds. But let's be real here. Japan doesn't want these kids getting it on. They don't even want them talking to each other without masks on because of COVID. They banned alcohol sales, which is a well-known brain lube to lower your inhibitions, and they passed out only 150,000 condoms. I say only. That's one-third of what they passed out in Rio at the last Olympics. And not only that, Olympic officials have made it clear that these condoms are intended only for athletes to use once they're back in their home countries. How much clearer can it get? Japan does not want you fucking in your room in Olympic Village. Just come out and say it. But good luck with that. It's a well-known fact that Olympians screw at the Olympics. A lot. You've got these good-looking young kids from all over the world, ripping hot bodies, adrenaline flowing through their veins, libidos out the ass. You can literally smell hormones in the air. Oh, and you're away from home. Of course they're going to screw. COVID be damned. These kids will bring their own condoms by the case. There are already reported cases of athletes testing positive for COVID in Olympic Village. And that's why the women's uh, U.S. gymnastics team, they're not even staying there. They booked rooms at a nearby hotel instead. So there's one group of kids who won't be up to shenanigans. I don't know if that's a safer play, COVID-wise, but I don't disagree with it at all. Only 23% of Japan is vaccinated. They got such a late start. The problem I see these girls facing really is protesters. The general public does not want athletes there, as I said. It's a shit show. And I don't want to sound like a downer, but I've got my doubts as to whether or not we're even going to see a complete Olympics. I think COVID is going to rear its ugly head. A lot of athletes are going to miss events. Public outcry will just get louder. And this whole thing's going to shudder. That would suck. I hope I'm wrong. But I don't feel good about it. Another story from the Olympics. Norway's female volleyball team has said they will not wear bikini bottoms during the Olympic Games this summer. Players swapped the traditional bikini bottoms for shorts during a match against Spain at the European Beach Handball Championship. And the Norwegian Federation states that uh, they're willing to pay the fine, like 50 euros a player, uh, so they can defy the rules. The rule is that the shorts ha- can be no more than 
50 centimeters above the hip line or something like that. Fuck that. Most panties wouldn't qualify under that rule. I love this story. I think it's about time that they allow female volleyball players to wear shorts. Any of you out there have daughters? What would you think if your daughter was an Olympic volleyball player? Would would you want her to be out there, a bunch of skeevy men oogling your daughter out there? The men wear shorts. Why can't they? Why do they have to have their ass cheeks hanging out if they don't feel comfortable with it? You know men are staring. It's one of the reasons why NBC gets those ratings. They're out there basically playing in their underwear. And you know guys are watching women's volleyball and tugging it. How do you think that makes these girls feel? Objectified? Fuck yeah, they're being objectified. This rule proves it. It's sexist. And I'm glad they're taking a stand. Men are skeeves, trust me. I was a skeeve when I was younger. But then I grew up. Then I grew up even more when I had stepdaughters. This isn't Victoria's Secret. It's the Olympics. Ah, the funny tweet I saw yesterday. You heard the news that Jeff Bezos finally went on a space mission, right? Somebody tweeted something like, Attention all Amazon employees, get those bathroom breaks in. Bezos won't be back for a while. Something like that. Sad, but funny. As Bezos is so tone deaf, it's frightening. After that pod came back down to earth, and they came out and all this did all this press, and they're interviewing him, and he said, I just want to thank all the Amazon employees and customers because you made this possible. You want to thank your employees? For what exactly? For working their asses off in unfair conditions? The threat of being terminated hangs on their shoulders every minute of every day? That's like the owner of a sweatshop in China thanking his employees for his new mansion. What an asshole. And did you see the rocket that he took up into space? It was shaped like a giant dick. Apropos. Oh, he said some really stupid shit, too. Like he wants to build a road to space and build facilities up there where we can manufacture products so that we no longer pollute the air on Earth. I'm like, he actually thinks like the Jetsons was a real possibility. I don't know what kind of drugs this douchebag's taken, but man, I want some. Must be outstanding. All right, I'm out of here. I know something huge is going to break today or tomorrow, and I'm going to sit on it all week. Thanks as always for listening and for your support of the podcast. Have a wonderful rest of your week and a great weekend. My name is Phil. This has been a name. Cheers. Cheers.